Acts 20, verses 25 through 31. Uh, back during, uh, I guess, you know, it wasn't Desert Storm. That was in the early 90s. This would have, I don't remember what we called it in 2001, 2, 3. After 9-11, and Donald Rumsfeld was our Secretary of Defense, I believe it was what he was. He made this statement in a briefing one day. Reports that say that something hasn't happened are always interesting to me because, as we know, there are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know that uh, we also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know we don't know. And if one looks throughout the history of our country and other free countries, it is the latter category that tend to be the difficult ones. Well, um, I think he's right. I'm not too sure. He, he took a lot of heat for that particular uh, comment in the briefing. Donald Rumsfeld didn't originate that. It's actually, it goes back to the 50s or 60s. Uh, it, it's, it's a, uh, a part of strategic planning. NASA used it uh, to uh, anticipate issues that they were having. Uh, I believe the oil and gas industry used it first, uh, a similar topic. It's, it, it's just, it's an interesting uh, uh, statement, but it actually is true. Now, thankfully, in our passage this morning, Paul was much clearer in his briefing uh, to the elders, the, the pastors, the leaders from the church in Ephesus. Uh, but, but Paul did talk about known knowns and no, known unknowns and unknown unknowns. He, he, he got them all in here in this one passage, and he's giving pertinent counsel not just to the leaders of that church in Ephesus at this time in the uh, 40s AD or something along in there. He is giving us counsel for leaders and church members today because it turns out that churches have the same concerns today that they had way back then. It's why we study Acts. It's why we keep going back to the book of Acts to see what the church was going through in those days because there is nothing new under the sun. It's constantly this way. And so we look to see what Paul said and did and we return to Scripture and we find that as we hold the mirror of Scripture up to ourselves and up to our church, we, we see ourselves in the passage, whether it's those things that, that, are, that we are doing correctly and well or those things that we need work on. We see us for who we are when we come to Scripture. And so Paul's known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns are just as important for us today as they were that day in Miletus. So read with me Acts chapter 20, verses 25 through 31. Uh, feel free to use a, and take a, a Bible there in front of you. If you don't have one of your own, it'll also be on the screen for you. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of, you, of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, 
not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And this four-week series on this final sermon of Paul's uh, stops here. It's, it's in, encouraging the church. This sermon was encouraging the church at Ephesus. And this particular section is what to expect. Paul uh, is going to, I see six categories of, of people and situations that we are to expect in the church, that the leaders from Ephesus were to expect when they went back home to Ephesus, and that we are to expect today in our church. Six categories. Number one, expect the unexpected. Well, Michael, you're brilliant. Thank you. Unknown, unknown, right? If Donald Rumsfeld can say it, I can say it. Expect the unexpected. Look, at verse 25, and now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Now, if you remember from last week, or you just kind of read back for fun, you know that Paul does not know what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He's, he knows that trials and uh, tribulations, uh, chains and afflictions, actually, he says, are waiting for him when he gets there. He knows that, but he, he doesn't know what's coming from that. He, his plan is, go to Jerusalem, then go back to Rome. So he's a, he, he has the assumption that he is going to go to Jerusalem and go to, the, go to Rome, but he knows it's going to be difficult and problematic when he gets to Jerusalem. So he knows trouble's coming, but he doesn't know what that trouble looks like. At this point, he even doesn't even know if Jerusalem will or won't be the end of the travel. It's, it, he, and I'm sure it's in his mind that it's possible I never make it to Rome. It's possible Jerusalem is the end because he says earlier he doesn't uh, uh, fear death. He, he, he doesn't worry about what's going to happen. So in that case, uh, along those lines, he knows that a future visit to the church in Ephesus is highly unlikely. And so he is giving this farewell address, not knowing what to expect, but anticipating probably never going to see y'all again. Now, turns out that the pastoral epistles, uh, First and Second Timothy, Titus, uh, they indicate that he actually went back to the area at some point. But at this point in time, he has no clue. He is expecting the unexpected, and that's what he's telling the church to expect. Expect that situations may look one way, and then God orchestrates another. Expect that you will say God has uh, let me down when in fact he never let you down. It just looked like it from your human, limited, temporal, sinful even, vantage point. Expect that situations will occur differently than you planned. Now, I'm sure no one in here has ever had that sort of situation in your life where you planned something and it didn't go anywhere according to plan. It was all craziness. 
I, on the other hand, had experienced that. I, I, can, like, I can come up with once or twice last week. Yesterday, that's right. <laughs> Expect that they're going to look one way. See, plan, though. This, this, is not, this is not Paul saying, don't plan for anything. Don't just, you know, live willy-nilly through life one day at the time, one minute through time. He's not telling them that. Plan, but plan loosely. Plan with open hands. Lord, this is what it looks like to me. You do with it, though, as you see fit. You lead, you guide. I give you the uncertainty of tomorrow and trust that you will take it and handle it. Expect the unexpected. The second thing that we see here, the, the second situation we need to expect is the unsuccessful. Expect the unexpected, expect the unsuccessful. Verses 26 and 27, Paul says, Therefore I declare to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Now what's unsuccessful in that? Paul, I believe, anticipates that not everyone will heed his words. He anticipates that he has presented the gospel over and over and over, and there's the very real possibility that he has presented it to unbelievers that are in the gathering, and they have never repented. They have never trusted Jesus Christ. He is anticipating that. He, he anticipates that some people will look like believers but won't be in the body, he anticipates that some believers will be carnal and disobedient to God's word. It's a pretty safe assumption. We might call that a known known if we're keeping up, and I'm not going to throughout this with that. You can keep score in your head if you'd like. But he knows this is not going to be a perfect church because it's made up of sinners. And it will always be made up of sinners. Redeemed sinners, certainly. Unredeemed people searching, probably. As we're going to see here in a minute, unredeemed people with no purpose other than to cause trouble, definitely. But we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. In this passage, he's letting them know in these two verses, 26 and 27, that I have done everything I should have. He has been faithful to share God's word, and yet he still anticipates people will not heed that word. It'd be great if, if he, as a, an evangelist, as a missionary, as a pastor for a while at that church, would have said, and because I presented the word of God faithfully and regularly, therefore, no more problems in the church, Woohoo! I would have liked that. It's not what he says. He has been faithful to share God's word, and yet he anticipates that there will be those that disregard it. See, for Paul, Paul understood this. We have to understand this as a church, as believers, as called missionaries to our community, our circle of influence. We can be faithful, and people still won't heed the word of God. Success is measured by our obedience, not the response of others. 
So while we may call this unsuccessful, expect the unsuccessful, that is only in the eyes of our fleshly ideas. Because if we have been obedient to God, as Paul says he has done here, that he uh, did not avoid declaring the whole plan of God to them, he knew he had been successful regardless of the response of the people. Expect that not every outcome will match our definition of success, but that our obedience will be considered successful. The Bible's full of such what we would call, I guess, uh, and I had that word in right, it was right, it was right there, and it's gone now. Uh, two things that can't be true but are. There's one word for that. Nobody's going to help me. All right, y'all doing great this morning. Thanks. Appreciate you. Expect that the Bible will say something and you go, but life says differently. But the Bible says, therefore, I must go with what the Bible says. Our success is in our obedience, not in, our, uh, in, in seeing success or response to that obedience. A paradox is the word I could not come up with. Thank you to my 13-year-old son. It's a paradox that success is not based on numbers, but success is based on obedience. So unsuccessful, uh, what looks like it is unsuccessful is actually successful. Number three, Expect the unexpected, expect the unsuccessful, expect the unaware. Verse 28, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood or with the blood of his own. Expect the unaware, expect that you're not always going to be expectant. Expect that there will be distractions in life. See, Paul knew that constant vigilance in the Christian life is difficult. He knew he had to tell them, be on guard. Why did he have to tell them to be on guard? Because he knew that there were going to be times when they weren't on guard. Why do we tell our children to take the trash out when it's time to take the trash out? Because we know if we leave them to their own devices, they're not going to take the trash out. Why does the IRS send us notifications when we don't pay our taxes on April 15th? Because they know if they don't get on us about it, we ain't paying those taxes. We don't want to do that. We, everyone knows that if there is not diligence and encouragement to do what we are supposed to do, we are going to tend to not do what we are supposed to do. Uh, distractions. Distractions of life can get us and those he has put into our care off track. We can be so distracted that we are become unaware of our need to be on guard for ourselves and for all the flock. And yes, if you are a believer in this church, a member of this local body of believers... You are responsible for the spiritual health and well-being of every other believer in this local body of believers. It's not just the paid staff's responsibility. 
It is every believer's responsibility to be responsible to and for every other believer. So he can say, be on guard for yourselves and for all of the flock. And that responsibility of awareness stems not from how good you are or from how well you know your scriptures or how much you tithe or how regular your attendance is or any of that sort of thing. The responsibility of awareness stems from our calling and God's ownership. Look at that passage there. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Well, we are the church, and we know he is telling us, be on guard. So there is our responsibility. There is our calling. But we are stewards of something that is not ours. Jesus' parables over and over show us that. That we are responsible to God's church. We are responsible for God's church, not for or to our church. This is God's. Purchased by the blood, with the blood of his own, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood, or the blood of his own. So, you were told to, if you need this in little simpler terms, and it's his work you're doing. So what he does is he says, go do my job. It's your job to do what I tell you to do. It's, it's my work. It's the work of the Lord. Go do it. Well, couldn't you do it? Mm-hmm, but that ain't my plan. My plan is you. My plan is the church. Expect that personal and corporate discipleship cannot be relegated to an hour or two per week. You will be unaware of what is coming. You will be no longer be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock if there is not personal, one-on-one, scripture time regularly and not corporate discipleship regularly, not a little sip of water here and there, but drinking from a fire hydrant of God's word. Expect that there will be those who are unaware and that you yourself will fall into it without personal and corporate discipleship. Number four, expect the unholy. Verse 29. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Savage wolves. Paul gives no quarter here. Paul doesn't beat around the bush. He doesn't sugarcoat this at all. He says, savage wolves will come in from the outside. Paul is fully aware of Satan's desire to destroy the church of Jesus. Satan's happy if we're doing nothing. Okay, He's good with that. But there's always the potential to do something if we continue to exist as a church. His goal is to destroy us. Not just to make us ineffective. That's like part one of the plan. Part two is the destruction of the church. And Satan does not merely use the sin of the world. Don't look at this and say, well, if we could get all those bad people that we don't like to quit being bad, everything would be fixed in here. That's not the case. Sin certainly can creep into the church. But we have God's word to fight against that. 
We know what sin is and we know what sin isn't. What he is talking about here is those whose purpose is to derail the mission of the church. Who will come in with the very plan to stop the mission of God in a church. And it might look, though he doesn't seem to give us this opportunity to think this, it might look good on the outside. It might be something that's wrapped well, but it, it, that, the language here he uses tells us that they are going to come in intentionally. And if we were, verse 28, on guard, if we were aware, we had recognized the wolves as soon as they came in. But because we're not aware... Because we relegate personal and corporate discipleship to an hour or two a week and expect that to be enough, we don't see the wolves when they come in. See, it's the nature of wolves to sneak and to ambush. They don't go yelling around their prey and, and, and get the prey all spooked and, and aware of the surroundings. They sneak in. They ambush them. They, they get them suddenly. And that's what wolves do. So number four, expect that tools of Satan will come in to cause havoc. Their purposes and their spirits are unholy. They are not of God. They are not for his purpose. They are anti-Christ. Not the Antichrist, but they are anti-Christ. They are anti-mission. Expect that that will happen. Paul is not giving us a list of maybes here. He's not saying, you know, it could be the case that I, mean, I probably won't. You know, don't worry about too much, but maybe. No, expect, be on guard. I know, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in. Number five, expect the unfaithful. Verse 30, men will rise up even from your own number. And distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Paul warns us, gives us the guarantee again. Men will rise up. Paul warns us that wolves are among the sheep. Wolves are always among the sheep. And we see that from his description here that they are just as unholy as the wolves that come in from without but they're hidden. They're wolves in sheep's clothing. We know the phrase. We've seen the Bugs Bunny where Wiley Coyote tries to get the sheep from the sheepdog. We know how it works in cartoon land. Well, it's very similar, except they're not as dumb as Wiley Coyote. They're not. They're hidden better. They are hidden in the church. They are just as unholy. Their purposes are just as unholy. Their spirits are just as unholy. But they are already here. And we would call them, and I do call them, the unfaithful. Expect the unfaithful. The truth of the matter is, though, they have very likely never been of the faith. Paul does not give a description here of just a carnal Christian. He gives a description by calling, by relating them to the wolves and says, even from your own number, he is calling them unholy, not of God. And they will rise up among us. And they will, he says, distort the truth. Their tool is lies. That is their best tool 
to stir up, to, to destroy, to kill, to murder the mission of God. Expect then, number five, expect that those you've loved and trusted will prove to be unfaithful wolves. Can you imagine the leaders in Ephesus hearing that? Paul, you've been with us now for three years. Uh, you were with us for three years. It's, it's been seven or eight since then. You've, you, we've gone back and forth a little bit. You know, really, you think, not in our church. There's no, no, Paul, not, not, I mean, sure, yeah, there are people in Ephesus that would come in. We got that, but not, not, not our church people. Men will rise up. Number six, the last thing we are to expect, expect the unconcerned. Paul, verse 31, therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each of you with tears. Be, or rather expect that there will be those that are unconcerned. He, he presents a picture of himself, and I believe we get a picture of the possibility I think a guarantee again, of the opposite of him in the church. See, Paul showed his love through concern and warnings. Therefore, be on the alert. Remember, night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each of you. There's the warning. With tears, concern. For three years, he never stopped. You would almost expect to hear from some of the Ephesians, yeah, you could have preached a little happier message once in a while, Paul. Maybe something a little lighter, a little easier. Clearly, Paul was not interested in making them feel good about how bad they were. Or feel good about how mediocre they were, even if they weren't bad. Paul was not concerned about that. See, calls to obedience and messages of truth are the greatest acts of love a shepherd can show. We... uh. Etta brought up a, 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 an instance in our past this morning in Sunday school that I hadn't thought about in a while, mainly because I don't like to. Uh, it is my worst memory of life right now. Uh, it, we were at a, a convention, uh, an event in Dallas at, at Prestonwood uh, Baptist Church, and we were walking across what was a six-lane road with a wide median, in the, grassy median in the middle, uh, it was the at the time four of us and a friend of ours and it was you know I was on we were walking across the road this way and and you're thinking Michael these details don't matter Tom's especially thinking that because of a conversation we had this week but they do I was on the end it was Jaden and our friend and Etta and Jamie or maybe they were switched on that end that doesn't matter we walked across, you know, we watched the cars coming, we made it, all right, three lanes across the road, we jump up on the median. Of course, the adults and one of the children uh, were all watching the cars coming from down there, and so we get, we see the cars coming, so we get to the curb, and we stop, and the cars are no further away than Mindy is from me right now, speed limit on that road's about 45 miles an hour, and they were all the way up to it. Four of us stop. The fifth one, the six-year-old standing next to me, was not watching the cars. He wasn't really doing anything. He was just walking. And we stop. He doesn't. And he goes to take that step off that curb. 
And let me tell you, this vision is still in my head of what could have been on that day. I'm surprised I didn't break that kid's sternum when I hit him in the chest, keeping him from walking across that road. Now, in any other situation, that was child abuse. I just whopped my kid across the chest as hard as I could. And anyone could have said, you don't love your kids. Do you see how you hit him? I protected my son from going out in front of that car. It didn't happen. And look, I mean, this is crazy. But the idea that he would have stepped in front of that car and right in front of us, and I'll stop there. That was the most loving thing I could do at that point. If I had cracked a rib, I'd have said, sorry, but you're not dead. And I'd do it again. It was the most loving, most concerned thing I could have done. See, what we see in Scripture, what Paul eventually will even warn against in one of his pastoral epistles, is that some wolves are really just lazy shepherds. Lazy shepherds with soft messages and partial truths. Paul warned Timothy about that. Told him to expect certain things, even in his letter. He's still warning. Timothy, the last couple of letters he ever wrote. And he's still warning. Be careful. Expect, Paul is saying, that some will be unconcerned to teach or be taught Sound doctrine, so long as it suits itching ears. Some will say, don't break your kid's rib. That's just mean. And I would say, I'd break them all if it kept me from losing them forever. And that's the teaching that Paul wanted to get across to them. Don't allow yourself or your leaders to be so unconcerned that they would not teach the truth in order to keep from hurting your feelings. So what's the takeaway here? Steve Horn said, so what? I'm going to rephrase that a little bit. What's the takeaway? You've got your, your six points, hopefully you could have, you were writing them down, but here's just the synopsis. Expect that the living out of our faith will not be without its uncertainties, its disappointments, its difficulties, its attacks, its treacheries, and its frustrations. That sounds like a party, doesn't it? Paul was honest. Sound doctrine is always honest. Notice what's missing from this passage. And if you want to cheat and look on ahead a little bit in the sermon, not right now, you can. And find all the places where Paul says, since it's going to be so hard, just quit. Just give up. Don't worry about it anymore. Just, it's not worth it. Find all those places for me and report back next week. Okay, I'll make it easy on you. He doesn't say that. As a matter of fact, he's going to say later on, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. 
you remember that verse, present your bodies a living sacrifice? Talked about it last week. Yeah, you're not going to get Paul saying it's not worth it. As a matter of fact, you're going to get the very opposite. Expect it to be worth every step through every known and unknown, whether known or unknown. Expect it to be worth every step. Treacheries, Michael, worth it? Mm-hmm. Disappointments, Michael, worth it? Yeah. Attacks, tr- frustrations, uncertainties? It's worth it. It is always worth it. How can it be worth it, Michael? Let me take you back to the middle of or the end of verse 28. The church of God which he purchased with the blood of his own. It's worth it because we were purchased with the blood of Jesus. That fixes it all. That makes everything worth it. Maybe maybe you don't see how that could work. Maybe you you, you don't understand, Michael, there's just no way it could be worth it. And and I, I would begin with, Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? Believers, we we talked about it. We sing the song, you're never going to let me down, but we know that's hard because sometimes it feels like he's let us down, and I get that, but, but let's, believers, hold on for a second, and let's talk to those who've never trusted Jesus Christ as your your Savior. You're you're sitting there thinking, how could that be worth it? And, And all I can say is, I don't know. I can't, I can't quantify it for you. I can't give you a list and say, well, when you accept Christ, this happens and this happens. You get these little tick boxes in your heart checked off. Now it's checked so everything works out. I, I, can't, I can't tell it to you that way. I can tell you that in my own life, and if you ask any other believer in here, they will tell you that every trial, every struggle, everything we have gone through, when we've gotten through to the other side and we see how God brought us through because of our faith in Jesus, we say it was worth it. But maybe they can't do that. Maybe we just read the end of the story. Where God says the saints that have been martyred, the saints that have died in the faith, all those who have died in the faith, whether they died because of their faith or not, they all gather around the throne. And for eternity we sing holy, holy, holy is he. And we spend an eternity with the one who bought us. It's worth it. God's design was not uncertainties, disappointments, difficulties, attacks, treacheries, or frustrations, but sin messed that up. He had a perfect design, but our sin is always against God's design, and it always leads to brokenness. And we decide we can fix that brokenness on our own, but we can't. Humanity decides that we can fix that brokenness on our own, but we can't. What good have we done in all of the History of humanity against uncertainties and disappointments and difficulties, attacks, treacheries, and frustrations. We squash one over here and another one pops up over there. It's like whack-a-mole. Doesn't matter how many times we hit one down, three more pop up. And then we don't get any tickets to, to purchase cheap junk with either. 
Our brokenness does it. And the only answer for our brokenness is the gospel. That is the only answer. The gospel that says Jesus Christ was perfect. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our sins and our burdens. He took our sinfulness. He took our punishment. He took everything on that cross. And all we need to do is repent and believe in that sacrifice. And we will see that it's worth it. We'll see it because we begin to recover and pursue God's design. We begin to work back toward God. And we will never complete that, this side of eternity. But that recovering and pursuing is us saying that those uncertainties and disappointments and difficulties and attacks and treacheries and frustrations are minor when compared to the glory of Jesus Christ and our eternal relationship with him. That's how we recover and pursue God's design. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Lord, that you provide the way for salvation. Lord, thank you that you provide the way through the unexpected, even even the expected unexpected. Lord, you did not leave us ignorant. You did not hide the truth from us. You are a little bit, sometimes we got to say, a little too brutally honest. And Lord, thank you for your brutal honesty. Thank you that you carry and maintain, maintain and that you will never let us down. Lord, work on hearts this morning. There may be believers here that are struggling with some of these very issues that need a touch from you today. Need you to let them know that, yes, all of this mess is horrible that you're going through, but I have not left you, and I will not leave you. Lord, there may be someone here that has never trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. And their life looks like what I described anyway with all the uncertainties and treacheries and all that. So we might as well experience that with you as without you. It might just be this morning a desperate cry to Jesus. Jesus, I've got no more answers. My life is broken and the more I fix it, the more I break it. So, Lord, show me that you truly have the fix for brokenness. Lord, there may be someone here this morning who has been feeling the gospel call for quite some time. They've felt the nudge. They've felt the urge to follow Jesus Christ. They've heard the message of salvation numerous times. They've just never pulled that trigger. Today is the day that they follow. It's, it's not about necessarily the brokenness, but surely that's part of it. But it's just about the, time, it's just about the fact they know today... I've got to give my heart to Jesus. I've waited too long. Lord, send your Holy Spirit to move throughout the hearts in this place, to, for them to respond as necessary, whatever that response is this morning. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So how should you respond then? Accept Christ, be baptized, lead a life of holiness, uh, recommit, return, return, 
to Jesus, return to the Lord, uh, be used according to his purpose, join our church, whatever your decision is this morning, you might want us to pray for you, you might want to share that on a connection card, you might want to catch me afterward out back, I'll be out there, Tom or Amy or uh, a trusted Sunday school leader, somebody that you want to talk to, whatever it is, make that decision today. If you're watching online, you might want to message us, make a comment there underneath the video. We would love to hear from you, talk to you. But whatever it is this morning, God is not going to let you leave here without making a decision. You're either going to decide to follow him the way he's calling you, whatever that means, or you're going to decide to ignore him and go out of here in a no way different than when you, the way you came in. But he's calling each of us this morning to make a decision. So let's stand, let's sing, let's make those decisions we need to make and do business with God this morning.